So welcome to the AI'll Take Your Job podcast. I'm here with Joseph Twig, CEO of Aveni, and Jamie Hunter, COO of Aveni. Um, and I thought it might be quite good if you could just introduce yourselves, just some of your background, some of your experience before we get started. Thanks, Nicola. I'm Joseph Twig, uh, CEO of Aveni. Um, by way of background, 15 years in financial services and four or five years with an NLP um, and tech startup. Jamie? Jamie Hunter, CEO at Avenius, um, Nicola mentioned, background kind of 15 years similar to Joseph um, in financial services. I largely in kind of accounting roles before getting involved at Aveni over the last three or four years. Um, so I know a little to be dangerous on all of these topics, etc. But at the same time, I can also put myself in the shoes of lots of people who are buying this technology as well. So. Just to introduce myself, um, I'm Nicola Wee. I'm the CMO of Veni. So I feel before we get started, we probably need to explain the name of this podcast, A I'll Take Your Job. If you've read any press on um, chat GPT, the emergence of generative AI, the Goldman report from a few weeks back, um, broadly speaking, okay? we're all f***ed. <laughs> You can say stuff like that, can't you? Um, Everyone's seen the press on ChatGPT. Everyone, I think, um, involved in AI um, that's been quite close to the recent um, developments, but also just, you know, people like my mum have been really surprised on the upside um, and just how far this technology has come in sh- such a, sh- a short space of time. And the capability uh, is such that a lot of daily tasks that a lot of people do um, can genuinely be automated now. Um, so these are th- things like writing emails, you know, populating reports, you know, a chief marketing, marketing officer type role. You can automate that straight out of your business. You just don't need it anymore. Um, <laughs> and the 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 impact is going to be significant. Um, Goldman's basically they're saying fifty percent of daily tasks from over sixty three percent of uh, roles in the developed economy are going to be automated by this technology in the next decade. And that equates to roughly 300 million jobs globally. So that's a fundamental um, impact on the economy, the global economy, measured in GDP, not, you know, shilling and, shilling and pence. Um, and it's made every single business leader every single business stand up, take notice and and start to try and understand how this is going to impact their business and their people. And do you think that's just sort of a sensationalist headline just to for sensationalist headline sake or do you think there's any truth to what they're talking about? Every headline is sensationalist in a way. Yeah. In this case, I would suggest, you know, it feels like the start of a new era. That's it. Genuinely feels that way. 
you know, we have been experimenting with these models for a little while now. And the stuff that we're doing internally out of any um, is frightening. I mean, it's genuinely frightening. You're like, you almost can't believe that the output is machine generated. So, yeah, I think this is the start of a new era. Uh, one thing to really think about um, is not just the impact on our industry um, and our business and be quite selfish in the way that we think about how GPT is going to impact the world, but also in the broader scope, the Jeffrey Hinton chat, the the letter signed by over 3,000 AI leaders and uh, academics globally, you know, this genuinely has the potential to have an impact on humanity. You know, it's not just about a potential revenue uptake for a Veni. Midterm, do you not just think that the reality is the job market evolves, kind of organisations evolve, what people do will ultimately change as has happened for the last hundred years, etc. You know, there's probably two parts that I think these headlines are very they're playing into what everyone's talking about, really, isn't it? Which is obviously people are worried about jobs and it's an easy headline to go for. But I think immediately step back, the reality of it is the technologies came on a lot, but the organizations that you're going to try and deploy these this technology into have got lots of problems. They've got lots of ways they need to evolve to adopt it. It's going to take a long time, really, to actually make a kind of material impact, you know? And I don't think that there's a lot... None of the headlines are talking about that. It, yeah. it feels like a long a long, t- a long, way to go before you really are getting... And don't get me wrong, these models are amazing, but there's just so much chaos around them. So just to provide a bit of context, then you mentioned Jeffrey Hinton, who's... Um widely recognised as the godfather of AI. He's quit Google, citing concerns over the impact of this technology on humanity. You've got over a thousand tech leaders calling for a halt in further development of generative AI. And then on the other end of the scale, you have those who think this technology is the answer to all our problems. Is there a middle ground here? Where do you sit? Jeffrey Hinton is alumni of Edinburgh University School of Informatics, where Lexi um, Aveni's Dr. Lexi Birch, Aveni's co-founder, um, learned to apply uh, her trade, invented uh, neural networks, had a pretty good job at Google as the chief scientist, and he's quit not because he disagrees with what Google are doing, um, quite the opposite. He's quit because he didn't want his opinion to negatively impact Google and the work that they're doing. And um, you know his his view that he's he's come to recently is digital intelligence, AI intelligence, is a different form of intelligence to human intelligence, which is fascinating, and it's that's all all around sort of hive mind. So the ability to learn something instantly that another model has learned. And and the general sort of theory of emergence, seeing the seeing the impact of, you know, increasing the size of these large language models and and what capabilities have emerged, and then not knowing what's going to emerge next, uh, and it's a it is a really sort of fascinating and interesting thought that you know 
if we continue doing the same thing that we've done for the last three or four years at OpenAI, at Google, and a few other places, we literally do not know what capabilities are going to emerge next. Like, so I, I, I suppose <laughs> the part that's not fully clear to me is I get, I get obviously that these models are going to evolve, get more intelligent. What what is this major risk that everyone is concerned about? Is, well, it, what is, if, it, is it fraud? Is it kind of what? Are, what are the tangible examples? Because it's not clear to me. Like take over what? If they keep training these models, the next capability that might emerge is startup COO, which means you're f- so. <laughs> I'll add value in a different way, I'm sure. But <laughs> No, I think it's a, a really, really interesting and important question because you've got, as Nicola highlighted in her question, um, you've got two camps here. One is basically our camp, right, which is this technology introduces loads of new capabilities. We're operating in this space. It's great. Now we can do... Um, additional things very quickly that add fundamental value, economic value to businesses immediately. And that's super exciting. And that's great. And then you've got the other side of the the, the coin, which is, you know, we've just equipped um, any bad actors, dictators, n- nefarious people with the perfect tool to manage their populations with misinformation, to create imagery that suits them to you know, to basically make... Does that not largely exist already in some ways? To make real versus fake, like, indistinguishable. And you're you're right. I mean, I saw a a super interesting response to to one of these articles from someone who basically said, oh, no, now all of the the truth and insight I get from Twitter is going to be flooded with misinformation. And it's like, fair point, people have to rely on common sense. But I think this moves us beyond that. Like if you've seen the imagery, you've heard the voices, you've seen the text, you've seen the pros, you've seen like the capability here, um, when you genuinely can't tell the difference, bring back face to face. You take the startup view on this, which is now we can make, wrap this around a human and we can make them 10x more productive. Woohoo, amazing. And that's literally what we're promoting. (laughs) But then you take that same thing and you like wrap it around some sort of troll farm (laughs) or you wrap it around some nefarious actor, even for individuals like that to push out and promote their own personal brand, their own personal message. These things, like I think this could have a huge impact. It just makes it really like the steps you have to take to trust what you're reading and what you're consuming I think are going to increase exponentially with the capability of the technology. That's the bad bit. I mean, and 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 that's what Jeffrey Hinton's bothered about, and that's what the one of the big concerns from the people that signed that letter. The other big concern is capabilities are going to emerge that humans can't control. I think that's a different conversation, but at the same time, a fascinating conversation. I think in the context of AI taking your job and and replacing. Replacing humans in industries that have been untouchable by automation, so service industry, relationship management, things of this nature, I think the impact's going to be ginormous. 
I mean, the thing is, like, the thing that screams out to me here, though, is if anything, it's going to emphasise the importance of the human side of it, and you're going to see more emergence in that to try and validate it, I think. And that's basically what will change here is, I suppose, humans' value will be kind of in explaining and having conversations with each other and having interpretation, creative license, all of that sort of stuff on top of it, you know, and and it sounds like you're going to need that even more now because if not, then can you trust what you're consuming, you know? So, like, in, in some ways, is the outcome here actually going to be that more human interaction is required on the stuff that matters, you know? That's a, a logical conclusion which is a nice thought as well i'm just not really sure how that happens the incentives of capitalism don't necessarily align to that so if you can basically say look you have a hundred people in sales or advice or whatever the the revenue that that hundred people can generate we can now wrap ai around that in a human plus context and make that hundred people 20 people and you can generate the same revenue i've done like that is what senior management that is what the shareholders any investors the decision is made before you've even finished the sentence if you can take that 20 people that now you're gonna have to pay more because essentially yes they're dealing with lots more automation but they're actually generating significantly more revenue per person if you can take that 20 people and turn it into none and essentially deliver the same same or better service direct from an AI and maybe have some other form of assurance, humans just pressing, reading, pressing go, the laws of capitalism push you in that direction. And that, and to a certain extent, know, but capitalism requires buyers. It does, it does. And people will need, you know, it's not just, robo-advice proved that, right, in the UK. You can do it loads cheaper without a person but people wanted to to speak to people but i guess this technology is materially different and the one thing that i'm really starting to think about now is expectations so you imagine right nicola you have at some point in the last year or two gone onto a website for a service you've got or a service you want and you've thought i cannot be asked calling these people i know this chatbot but i'm gonna give it a spin anyway and you like type in a problem and it's like is it this is it that and you type in a you you know you go through this little dance with this chatbot and it's rigid it's a rubbish experience and it's essentially triage if you've been through that experience and you've also been through a chat gpt experience where it's engaged you, tried to understand you, responded to your query, been really helpful, been been polite, been a, a completely different experience. How can you go back? You can't go back from there. Like expectations have fundamentally changed, you know, in a really short space of time, like in, in four or five months, expectations have changed. Now, every experience dealing directly with a chatbot that is worse than ChatGPT is going to be a bad experience. That, for me, is going to drive companies to at least go through this first phase of adoption, where they're comfortable pu- uh, like pushing the data to the models, taking the output, and at least in some parts of the service deployment, letting that go 
out in the wild directly with their customers. So to that point, then, you can't currently use ChatGPT as a chatbot just now. Like, What would companies need to be able to do in order to implement something like ChatGPT for customer service, for example? How, how can this be realistically used in the industry, given all the issues and concerns that everyone has at the moment? I mean, you can use it right now. You can take the GPT-4 API if you're in the US, soon in the EU and UK. But right now, GPT, you know, 3.5 Turbo, you can take that and you can plug it straight into your chat experience. You can use it. You can use it right now. But how can you control what it says? And what, like, I think you've discussed in webinars before, like the guardrails and train it on, on industry-specific information. Is that some stuff you need to do before you implement it? Or can you just like, st- you can't just stick it onto your website and just have people chat away with it? If you don't, if you don't care, if like if it's going to crack onto your customers or not, then uh, <laughs> you, can, you can use it. Um, but you know the point you're making, deploying this in a heavily regulated environment where it really matters if it hallucinates and it really, really matters um, if it's getting things wrong or being biased or any of those sort of things. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to be super careful. And essentially, you've got to control the output. All the things that you care about in terms of the output, you need to control and you can, and you can, which is the good use. You know, you can use your own knowledge base. You can retrieve the information from your knowledge base and ask GPT to use that as a response to certain questions. And that is um, the way that this is going to evolve, you know, aligning these models as foundational models with additional, more expert models in a particular domain with expert uh, knowledge bases and very, very clear, almost decision trees embedded uh, into these regulatory journeys. But yeah, I mean, you really can genuinely use it now. It's just a case of being able to use it in a way that delivers the use it's case. It's a baseline, isn't it? I mean, yeah, basically, it's, a it's basically a new, a new place to start. I mean, there's probably very few use cases for an organisation right now where you just plug in GPT and that's it. Because... There's lots of reasons for that, obviously. Like the model stop at a point in time. You know, you need to be able to you need to be able to have confidence what is communicating to your customers, etc. But I think the main point here is your starting point should be these large language models now instead of pre with, with nothing. And that takes your kind of chat experience tenfold from where it's been before. And then from there, what you need to be able to do is kind of try and reference it against the stuff that matters to you as a business. Following on from your, you know, using ChatGPT from customer service, how far are we away from, for example, AI-generated advice using this kind of thing in, a, in an advice setting? Is Seems like a very leading question, Nikki. I think all the components are there. I think the reality of it is if you actually look at what financial advice is today, a very small part of it is the advice. Like, mm. or the actual decision of what to do with the assets, the liabilities, that's often relatively structured and clear from the outset, um, which is really what Robo was trying to do. For nine times out of ten, the advice is relatively straightforward, and advisors really are 
explaining that advice, understanding the goals of the, the customer, etc. <clears throat> I think where we are now with these large language models is all the components are there for us to stitch it together to get to a place that for kind of a large proportion of advice, AI could generate some form, some form of kind of outcome. And then from there, obviously, an advisor or not can can kind of explain it, give guidance on it. And, and for, for us, that's the direction of the sector and where it's going to go. Now you touched on like robo-advice and why actually that just never took off in the UK. So what's the difference here? Why do you think, is it because it is, you know, very much humans still giving advice and their opinion and the interaction with a human? For me, it's the reason that we're not all, basically, <laughs> that, as Joseph said at the start, and that is, doesn't matter how much you implement technology, people still want to talk to someone. Yes. Like, never underestimate how how many people, and this is one one example, financial advice, but there's lots of them. The majority of people don't understand pretty basic financial products, etc. They're not confident on it, and they're not, at this point in time, and I think it's probably a long way away, just going to trust some tech solution to tell them. They do want to chat to someone, and that's where Robo kind of fell down. So I suppose... What, what we believe is the kind of next natural step is to effectively generate that advice via, via AI, kind of get as much efficiency into that advice process as possible, not that it'll lower the cost, and then the advisor can effectively deliver the outcome that they're recommending to the customer and explain it. I think the really big difference between an AI-first advice future and robo-advice is... AI is not restricted by an individual company's restrictions, which can be good, can be bad. You know, it's bad for the company. It's potentially really good for the consumer, but it's something to really think about. Like, you've got to have a real long, hard think about that. You know, you have just spent the last five years vertically integrating your company, restricting the advice that you can give, going into a consumer duty environment, and now, actually, I can overlay an AI over your advice journey, and I can tell you whether the advice you're giving is good value, is good advice, whether there's better advice out there for, for lower cost. You know, it's going to really keep really keep the industry honest, which is super interesting. And it's required, like, and to be needed. honest It's a very, very frustrating industry. Even when you're sitting there and reading reports on the advice gap and all that sort of stuff, frustrating because it feels like it misses the point a lot of the time it still seems to be focused on you know for those earlier years um, because the assets aren't as high as advisors would like them be to be to make money off them then you should be pointing individuals to kind of you know free advice government advice and stuff like that we want to speak to them when they get to whatever age if it's 45 or whatever 50 because they're going to gather assets it's bonkers, like, it's the wrong time to be speaking. The bulk, the majority of people, in order to actually kind of have security in later life, need to be engaging with this stuff at 25 and 30. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it needs to be huge amounts of money, but they need to be engaged about it early enough that they can do something with it. And I suppose for me, that's where this sort of solution can help and whether or not, like, what... What it looks like, how consumers access it, is, 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 I suppose, a question for the future. But what you really want is to start to educate people 
at all points in the life cycle so that they actually can make changes that will fundamentally kind of make a difference. And right now that just doesn't exist, you know? The the the, the title is kind of AI will take your job. And I think if I listen to this, I'd be coming away thinking, AI is going to take my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the title. <laughs> the, the other side of it, which is, you know, people will hopefully be doing better jobs. Work balance will hopefully change. Um, I suppose there's a, there's a bigger conversation on what that looks like. The reality here of it's still not good enough. The honest truth is there's still... I know, I know that we think that there's a big there's a big time ticker here, and there is, but I keep saying it. Genuinely, the amount of time it will take for them to implement this stuff in a meaningful way will be very long. Haven't these headlines been around for ages? I mean, like the advent of the internet, calculators, all this kind of stuff. Everyone's just like, oh my God, it's going to be, you know, destruction of all jobs. But then, you know, people are saying actually the pattern of job destruction, job creation will be very much the same as other huge technological innovations. Do you, do you feel that's the same? I think that's, that, that, that is a- absolute <laughs> Like, and I'm sure everybody, every phase, uh, every technological leap from horses to cars, from typewriters to, you know, CPUs, has said the same thing. I think this is entirely different in nature. It feels different, like speeding people up versus, like, doing something what everyone thought was fundamental to humans. And do you not believe that something like ChatGPT will essentially just redistribute jobs into other areas? There'll be It's not going to be a mass extinction of jobs all of a sudden. Did you see um, today what happened? Was there a mass extinction of jobs? <laughs> You're sacked. <laughs> <laughs> today, as we were saying before, the attention-grabbing headline was AI takes its first scalp. And it's like, oh, what's that? And digital education companies, like the big ones, Duolingo, um, this big one in the US, their share price, I think the one in the US share price dropped 50% overnight. Others were dropping 10, 15, 20% reporting results. People are starting not to use their service. They're starting to go to GPT. If you think about the frequency that these sort of results are reported annually and you think about how long gpt is really being viral and really being used three or four months that already is a pretty material impact on a pretty big industry not compare that to like streaming services like netflix and blockbuster surely it's just a case of actually companies need to pivot and adapt it is like that but it's like that for everything that's the whole point. Online education, like, it, it feels completely different in this new world. And that is with GPT, chat GPT, trained, a retail version, trained up until 2021. Loads of data missing from that. GPT-4 is a completely different paradigm, right? It's completely different. If you connect GPT-4 to the internet, a la Bing, you've got a real issue there. You're just getting for new education. Front, you're just getting new front ends, don't you? Know? You'll get new GPT powered kind of education providers, wouldn't you? Really, like that's the. Kind of... I I think so, but I think the the time and effort 
needed to create a new Duolingo right now is a fraction of what was required to create Duolingo pre-GPT. Yeah. That obviously doesn't count for us. We're far more special. Obviously. <laughs> no, but, you know, that's because the whole engine, the whole engine, think about that, 100, 100 languages, the ability to translate them accurately, the whole engine needs to shift from what you've spent a decade yeah. building to something that has just emerged this capability from the amount of data it's been trained on and off the shelf does it better than you've done i mean it, it is a crazy crazy thought and i think you've only seen the retail examples of this i think when you really look under the surface it's going to be as good as a lot of existing capabilities. We see a lot of new competition coming out in each of the sectors that they can come out a lot cleaner, can come out a lot easier. I think probably the one thing that should be set on every single company's risk register is what does the impact of this do to their industry and how do they react to it, you know what I mean? Like, and I dare say these organisations could have reacted in a different way quicker. And as a result of it, might not have had the same impact that they've had recently. So as Joseph said, that's probably the key thing is people, every company now needs to be thinking about, right, okay, well, what's going to change as a result of this? So guys, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Do you have a positive note to end on? Nope. <laughs> I'm a lot more positive than Joseph. I'm probably more naive to it than he is, but like, I think, I think the reality of it is people's jobs will, like the job market will obviously change, but as a result of that, and, and I don't think that'll happen straight away. I think it will in some sectors and others it won't. It'll take time to implement and be able to trust this sort of technology. And I think what you'll find is new types of job will evolve off the back of it. And I dare say at some point there will be a bigger discussion. Nobody wants to work these days anyway, do they? So there will be a bigger discussion on exactly what the working week looks like. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks to Jamie and Joseph. And if you've enjoyed this episode, do subscribe.